On April 21, 1907, the Chicago Tribune published a story of a Russian steamer called the Parrier, docked off the coast of Santa Monica, California. Built in 1897 in Germany and owned by a Russian company, the steamer was considered an excellent ship, but just 10 years later, it sat in port, empty and lifeless. Except for something that stayed on board. A thing with no known origins spread quickly among the men who had sailed on the ship previously. A terror and fear-like hysteria that caused death and despair, not seen again until several decades later when the Minneapolis Star published a story in 1940 of the Ivan Vasily, another Russian steamer headed for San Francisco. The crew aboard would succumb to the same ghostly terror that infected the Perrier and one by one would meet similar fates. Welcome to Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. The world is full of myths passed down from generation to generation. Mysteries haunt us. Monsters hunt us. Today we're looking at two stories of Russian ghost ships that share more than just deaths. Both were published in newspapers and widely considered true stories. But did they really happen? And if not, why are they considered true? Part 1. The Terror on the Parrier The ocean is an object of no small terror. Edmund Burke in the early 1900s, Japan, like many other countries, was looking to expand its sphere of influence into mainland Asia. At the same time, Russia was looking for a warm water port to increase trade and to acquire another port for their navy. At this time, Russia's main port was Vladivostok, which due to the cold winter months, was only operational during the summer. They also had leased Port Arthur from China in 1897, a port that was operational all year round. With both countries attempting to expand, the Japanese government saw Russia as a threat, and after several attempts of peaceful negotiations, both countries went to war in 1904. The year prior, in 1903, with Russia foreseeing the possibility of war, they activated the Parrier, with the intention of using it to carry military supplies to Vladivostok. The steamer, at the time docked in St. Petersburg, would travel through the Suez Canal, dock at Port Arthur in China for resupply, make their way to Vladivostok to drop off the military supplies, and finally make their way back to Port Arthur before the ice froze them in Vladivostok Harbor. The crew was composed of Scandinavians, Portuguese, Englishmen, and Russians, led by Captain Andrist and Second Officer Hansen. It seemed like a simple trip. The weather had been fair and the sea calm. At first, this was reflected by the crew, but after leaving the Suez Canal, the crew would begin to report feeling uneasy while on the ship. They couldn't explain the feeling, but they could feel something awful was coming. Just two days away from reaching Port Arthur, on a peaceful night under a full moon, at around 3 a.m., a scream shook the ship, and then another, and another. Waves of screams were coming from the men in their bunks, where just moments prior they were sound asleep. They were now screaming in terror and panic. The officer in charge and the night watch had no idea what to do. They tried to calm the men, but before they could start, the men were now running through the ship, screaming and praying. Like a fast-moving plague, the terror gripped even the men who were awake, they ran wild about the deck. Some sank to the ground, their eyes helpless and hopeless, as the terror gripped them. Others began attacking each other, fighting, tossing each other around. One young sailor named Alec Govinsky was shouting curses and prayers at no one as he ran straight towards the deck. The officer in charge watched Govinsky without any hesitation reach the edge of the ship and jump over the railing into the sea below them. The moment he hit the water, the terror stopped. The men snapped out of their trance. They were weak and trembling, but whatever spread through them was gone. They lowered boats to look for Govinsky, but his body was never found. He was lost at sea. Whatever attacked the men had no name 
no face, no wants or needs. They didn't know what it was, and could only name it, the Thing. As they carried on with their mission, the ship made its way to Port Arthur, with the men aboard hoping the Thing wouldn't return, and for a while, it seemed like it wouldn't. They reached the port without incident, and made their way to Vladivostok. On the third day, the Thing came back. Terror gripped the men again in the middle of the night. This time, there were no reported deaths, but they were no closer to figuring out what it was, and they now knew it could return. Upon reaching Vladivostok, a dozen men tried to desert the mission. Half of them were caught and brought back to the ship. Captain Andrus couldn't promise safety, and given more time, maybe they could have investigated, but the men had to leave for Port Arthur before the winter froze the harbor. Unfortunately, the thing came back, every night. One man died of fright in his sleep, screaming in fear until his heart gave out. Two others couldn't take the terror gripping them, night after night, and killed themselves. And just three days away from reaching Port Arthur, Captain Andrist shot himself in the head. When the ship finally arrived in Port Arthur, all but six deserted the ship. Many hoped they would never have to go on another voyage aboard the Parrier. Part 2. The Voyages of the Parrier He who is afraid of a thing gives it power over him. A Moorish proverb. The six men who stayed with the ship included second officer Hansen, who was now appointed captain by the ship's owners. The other five men stayed with the ship believing the thing causing the terror would now stop with the ship under a new command. They had no way of knowing how wrong they were. The owners of the Parrier requested Hansen gather a crew and bring their remaining supplies and cargo to Sydney, Australia. The only record of the voyage was that of Hansen's own journal, where he made mentions of the thing returning over multiple nights, killing his crew one by one. Some men killed themselves, while others would kill their own crewmate, all the while screaming from the horror of their actions and the thing making them do it. Hansen's journal ended one day before reaching Sydney, as the fear grew too much for him to bear, causing him to shoot himself. Upon reaching Sydney, Australia, the remaining crew deserted the ship, telling all they could about the evils on the ship. Many stayed away except for one man, Captain Govinsky no relation to the sailor who killed himself during the first voyage. He was a man said to fear nothing, and he was sent by the owners to take over the ship and return it to Port Arthur. Despite the word spreading about the ship, he was able to gather a small crew to help him bring the ship back, including one man named Nels Nelson, who wanted aboard not only to help, but to find out what caused the deaths. On their way to Port Arthur, the thing struck again. Among the screams of terror, Nelson questioned the men who were somewhat sane asking them what they felt and saw. Nelson would go on to describe the thing as a sudden gust of warm, dry air sweeping through the ship. It brought madness, creating a stampede of bloodthirsty, horrified men, attacking each other until someone died. Once a death occurred, whether it be through suicide or someone bludgeoning another to death, everyone returned to normal. Once the crew reached Port Arthur, they once again deserted, all except Captain Govinsky. Nelson would also leave, but eventually returned. For some time, the ship had no reason to set sail again, and the men hoped the peace would cause a thing to leave. Finally, in February of 1907, Captain Govinsky received new orders to deliver hemp and merchandise to San Francisco. He recruited another crew, and along with Nelson, they set sail once again, hoping a thing wouldn't return. The crew sailed for several days, tense and worried of what would come in the night, but nothing came. It appeared they were now safe from the thing. They made their way to Honolulu for a resupply, and this time, no one deserted the ship. They set sail once again, heading to their final destination of San Francisco, confident they were safe. That night, the crew was finally able to go to sleep peacefully without the worry of death. And then, a scream rang out in the ship. 
The Night Watch quickly gathered the two screaming men and locked them below the ship's hold, hoping they stopped the thing from spreading, but they were too late. The thing had already spread, bringing fresh terror among the crew. It was more vile and hungry than before. Reports say the crew slashed and beat each other, screaming in agony, until one died. This went on for three nights, until the fourth night when Captain Kavinsky shot himself in the head. They had finally reached San Francisco, but were redirected to Santa Monica. The crew almost deserted the ship, but instead they made their way. Eight hours before reaching port, another crew member tossed himself overboard. When the ship docked, the crew deserted, refusing to return. Nelson sent word to the owners, telling them no amount of money or rewards would convince anyone to board that ship. And as far as the story goes, no one ever did. Part 3 The Ivan Vasily and the Truth of the Perrier History is full of ghosts because it's full of myth, all of it woven together depending on who survived to do the telling. Roshni Chakshi The Ivan Vasily story is extremely similar to the Perrier, so similar in fact it's the same exact ship. The same story told decades later with a few details changed. The story of the Perrier appeared in the Chicago Tribune in April of 1907. As was common in that time, it included no byline and no author to attribute the story to. But after some research, I found the article in the Sunday issue of the paper, dated April 21, 1907, titled The Mystery of the Haunted Ship. It appears on page 50 of 97 in the special features section. Another common thing in newspapers, especially prevalent during that time, was writing articles with no sources or any way to confirm what was written. For example, in the same exact paper, there was a small article entitled Whiskey Kills Like Consumption, with a little drawing showing the devil sitting on top of a barrel of whiskey. The article claims a French doctor states whiskey kills more than opium, morphine, and cocaine. The doctor wasn't named, there was no source, and no statistics, just a claim that it was true. The same is true for the article of the Parier. The author makes no mention of how he or she obtained the information, who they interviewed, or what they witnessed. At the beginning of the article, the author even claims, quote, the tale of the Perrier is not some wild freak of the imagination of some drug-crazed novelist. It is a true story of the present day." End quote. In reality, the Perrier never existed, and the men who died never lived. No records list the Perrier ever reaching any port, and there are no records of a ship by that name under the Russian fleet or assisting the Russian fleet during the Russo-Japanese War. After doing some more research, it turns out the editor of the Special Features section had a habit of letting ghost stories with no basis in fact be printed. The following week on April 28, 1907, the Chicago Tribune printed a story entitled Did a Ghost Drive Mrs. Marshall Field, Jr. from Ashby St. Ledger's? The article states Mrs. Marshall Field, Jr. lived in the manner where Guy Fawkes conspired to kill King James I in the gunpowder plot of 1605 until a ghost drove her from her home in 1907. The issue with the story is a Mrs. Marshall Field, Jr. never lived in the manor. In 1903, it was sold to Ivor Guest, the first Viscount Winborn. There's no record of a Mrs. Marshall Field Jr. ever owning or staying at the manor. Although I couldn't find information on the Chicago Tribune website or anywhere else, I assumed a special feature section in the Sunday paper was possibly known for creating entertaining stories, and it's completely possible at the time everyone knew the story was false. The thing about a good fictionalized story is, no matter how dead it is, you can change a few details and bring it back to life, if you give it some time. And that's exactly what happened here. I searched the names of the crew mentioned in the Perrier story to find the origin of the Ivan Vasily story. This led me to the Minneapolis Star, who printed a story entitled More Proof That Hoodoos Ride Ships on April 14, 1940. The article tells the same story with a few minor alterations, but most of the names of the crew are the same. The captains are the same, the same thing spread through the men in the same fashion, and the first to die was Alec Govinsky in both stories. 
Besides going into a few extra details, the ending was slightly different as well. After the ship, the Ivan Vasily in this version, reached San Francisco, it just stayed there. After doing some more digging, I found an article in the Skeptical Inquirer, Volume 8, Number 2, by Robert Schaefer in 1983. Apparently, he heard the story of the Ivan Vasily and also tried to find the origin of it. He was able to track the story to a Vincent Gaddis book titled Invisible Horizons, published in 1965. In this version, the Ivan Vasily is brought back to Russia and then set aflame to destroy it. The story in the book is perpetrated as a true story, but Vincent Gaddis is known for making up stories and telling them as fact. In fact, Gaddis is the reason the Bermuda Triangle legends exist, as he made them up in the same book. Knowing this, Schaefer contacted Gaddis about the Ivan Vasily story, asking about his sources, and Gaddis told them he had read it in an issue of Coronet from 1942 and the American Weekly published on April 14, 1940, the same exact day it first appeared in the Minneapolis Star. Unfortunately, the American Weekly also doesn't cite sources or authors, but it was well known for telling fictional tales, sort of like the National Enquirer today. As for the coronet, the article that mentioned the Ivan Vasily story was written by R. DeWitt Miller, a science fiction writer. We may never know who revived the fictional story of the Perrier in 1940 as the Ivan Vasily, but, like the Perrier, we know it never existed, with there being no record of it reaching port in San Francisco, or anywhere for that matter. Despite this, many accounts of the story appeared in books throughout the second half of the 20th century, with many claiming it as a true story. Even today, plenty of websites tell the story claiming it's real. Some even include a supposed picture of the Ivan Vasily. A quick reverse image search shows the picture that is widely used is that of a Russian hospital ship from 1918 called the Ocean. There are no pictures of the Perrier or the Ivan Vasily because the stories are made up and the ships never existed. But like the thing in the story that terrorized the crew with no known origin, I suspect the legend of the Perrier and the Ivan Vasily will continue to spread as fact, maybe even under another name. But how about you? Do you think the terror that drove all those men insane actually existed? Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. If you have a myth, mystery, or monster you'd like us to cover, send an email to mythmysteriesmonsters at gmail.com. My name is Hector. Script and research is done by E.L. Soto. Sources are in the show notes for further reading. All images can be found by clicking on the sources in the show notes, taking you to our Instagram page. If you enjoyed the episode, leave us a rating, a review, or subscribe for more. And remember, always look behind you.